You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to another episode of Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And this week, we are talking sequel queens. That's right. This week, we are talking about The Rage, Carrie 2. But also, more importantly, mostly just because it's Canadian, Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Totally overdue to talk about Mary Lou. Maybe the greatest high school horror movie ever made. You're really showing our cards here on the top of this episode. You're showing my cards here. <laughs> uh, we're super excited to round up our prom and sea monster month with these two prom-related sequels. I know the Rage Carry 2 isn't really prom-related, but I mean, it's Carrie. How can you argue? As you may have heard by now, Nightmare on Film Street is no longer part of the Fangoria Podcast Network, uh, but we're still the same old creepy goofy podcast you know and love we are currently independent so i am sure you've noticed at the top of the show our intro has gone back to a neutral nightmare on film street exclusive intro and we're gonna stay that way for the foreseeable future obviously we're keeping our options open for other stuff developments in the works but we are going to maintain our regular release schedule of episodes every other thursday to keep you guys entertained to keep your podcast feeds full of fun horror content and we will still be doing our nightmare alley episodes but they will be sporadic and whenever there's new releases and fun interviews to be had so those will happen in the in between weeks as bonus episodes and then our regularly scheduled head-to-head episodes are every other thursday realistically though nothing's really changed for you we're still the same old podcast you know we're still the same creepy co-hosts in fact kim i gotta ask what's keeping you creepy this week well i did take the opportunity this week to kind of step away from social media and kind of get recombobulated recalculated get back into the stuff that I love, which is obviously horror movies. So we took the time to check out some new stuff that's on streaming platforms like Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, the documentary following Mark Patton and his journey being a unlikely Scream Queen from the second Nightmare on Elm Street film. Um, That was a really fun watch. That one just landed on Shudder. And really, really builds toward two key conversations with the director and writer of Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, that are totally worth checking out. And also Scare Package. It had a live premiere on Fridays, the last drive-in. We got to watch Scare Package, which is this super fun, zany, gory, gross horror anthology by some up-and-coming horror filmmakers who are just out to make this super meta, fun look at the genre for horror fans and... It was it was gross, it was silly, it was super fun. We have a review on the website for it right now, actually, from one of our senior contributors, Paul. Uh, but Kim's 100% right. Um, it is a wildly funny horror anthology. Like, all horror anthologies, like, you've got some of your favorite segments and, like, some that maybe don't necessarily work for you. Um, but also something that Paul talks about in that review is that it's really made for horror fans in that whatever your specific subgenre obsession is, it's probably represented there, and it's it's wall-to-wall humor. 
I did not expect it to be as funny, but like I, I welcome any new horror anthology, so I was super happy to check it out. Uh, also, our Vinegar Syndrome package came. They recently had their Halfway to Black Friday sale, and we watched Spookies, which is the strangest oh boy. 80s oddity I have ever watched. And like, this is exactly why we go to Vinegar Syndrome. <laughs> so unwatchable, but... Just a pure joy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, previ- like I talk all the time about how great Grindhouse is and how Tarantino's Death Proof is essentially, like, you know, a movie that got taken over by a completely different director halfway through and they don't fit together. And that is that is exactly what Spookies is. It's, it's the pure example of a producer coming in and just mangling a movie to make it his weird vision that just doesn't work. No. It just doesn't make any sense. Actually, on a side note, we also watched our copy of Mausoleum this weekend. We visited our friend Will, hey Will, to have a little backyard social distancing movie night. And I just found out that it landed on Shudder recently. Hell yeah, it did. uh, Everybody can watch Mausoleum, which is a great follow-up to Spookies. Pure trash. Yeah. Oh, trash masterpiece. So wonderful. So, such a demonic tittied joy. (laughs) And before we get into it, I just want to give a quick shout out to our most recent patrons, Dan, Eric, Ashley, Aaron, Stephen, Kirsten, Bria, Katie, Heather, Sean, Jay, Patrick, and Samantha. It's a lot of names. Thank you all so much. I have, I've broken the rules of the, the high school prom rule book, and I've, I've entered all of you in for prom king and prom queen. They said one vote per person, but I had a lot of different hats and a lot of fake mustaches, and I got a ballot in for each of you, so you got my vote. Thank you again so much for your support. Uh, if you want to check out all the bonus content available to you as a monthly supporter of Nightmare on Film Street, just head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. In fact, we just, just this week, started releasing Drive Home from the Drive-In Reviews again, beginning with Drew and Brett Pierce's The Wretched, which is playing in drive-ins right now, uh, but also on VOD if you don't feel like hopping in your car and, and driving an hour and, and trying half. to touch nothing. <laughs> don't touch anything. Don't touch anything. We're in a great spot because we have an RV, so we literally bring our own like kitchen and bathroom with us. Um, we do have to park at the back, though. We gotta park way at the back. Really far. Really, really like, far. Like, the wretched people were so small. <laughs> But that's over at Patreon if you want to check it out. Uh, and I am I'm so happy that we're starting to get back to some sense of normalcy, even though it's maybe too early to do that. Don't touch anything. Yeah. And I mean, if, you're, if your local theater starts opening up, just don't go. I don't think it's a good idea. You do you, but drive-ins right now seem like the safest spot. Outside versus inside. That's, that's Those are the two camps we're in right now. That's true. Everything outside. But enough keeping us creepies enough rambling let's get into this week's episode sequel queens we're starting with hello mary lou prom night two she took the keys to jumped in mary lou she went behind the stage with cooper this year, someone special is coming back to Hamilton High for prom night. Mary Lou Maloney. She's been dead for 30 years. Now she's going to use Vicky's body 
to get her crown back. Morning, prom queen. Only nominated, not the winners. Not yet. Mary Lamoni has come back. Vicky. Wrong. You came with me. She will enter your body and possess you. See you later, alligator. On revenge. Another prom queen hopeful bites the big one. Cracking up? I don't know what's happening to me. She's dead. Dad, you know something about this, don't you? Sucker. No. See you later, alligator. She took the keys to my Cadillac car. They're playing our song. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom Night 2. Hello, Mary Lou. Prom Night 2 is currently sitting at 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb, 42% on Rotten Tomatoes. 48% 48% on Metacritic, if you're interested, and 3.2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. It's also the only movie that I can remember in the longest time that has a lower audience rating than critic rating. Really? Yeah, at least for horror. Wow. It, it had, the audience rating is 37%. Wow. That is surprising, because this movie kicks a lot of ass. And everything else aside, best title ever? Best title ever. When you think of it not as a prom night movie, though, like... I don't know if it's great. Because if, if you don't know, this wasn't supposed to be a sequel to Prom Night. Yeah, it was The Ghost of Hamilton High or something something along those lines. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. I just, in my mind, I think of it as just being called Hello, Mary Lou, which is a terrible name for a horror movie. Yeah, it was like the ha- no, maybe it was The Haunting at Hamilton High. Something, something, Hamilton High. <laughs> I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. But then the studio that bought it was like, this is going to be our Prom Night sequel. And they added a bunch of sequences and it became a somewhat of a prom night sequel. You know, the paranormal follow-up to the slasher film of the disco era. I love it when a fucking sequel goes in a wild direction. It just does whatever the fuck. Yeah, it does It does whatever it wants. I also, I'm kind of just a little upset, because I'm going to keep coming back to this, that we didn't pair it with a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I really think this movie would go really well with, I don't know, Dream Warriors, but probably definitely Freddy's Revenge. Because that's got, that's got Freddy coming Are you talking into... chalkboard sequence? <laughs> the, okay, the chalkboard sequence is a thousand percent like a nightmare from one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, not actually, but it totally fits. Fuck it. Let's, let, I just want to pretend for the rest of my life that this movie takes place in the same universe. Oh, yeah. Like, right? that, that fucking rocking horse is... <laughs> Is birthed by Freddy Krueger in some way or another. It's his elbow, it's a knee, a toe. He's just loaned it to this film. I'm your girlfriend now, Mary Lou. Like, that's that's the horse. Vicky Carpenter. Yeah, it's got that fun, carefree vibe in the way that, that Nightmare on Elm Street is... It's a traditional slasher, but then it's got all these fun, kooky, paranormal elements where you know everybody involved was just like, okay, let's brainstorm some really wacky, gravity-defying ways we can have Freddy manipulate the real world into being the dream world. And let's use as much claymation as possible. <laughs> that That is like the, the same essence that has been harnessed in Mary Lou 2. But in Mary Lou 2, but in... <laughs> 
Unofficially Mary Lou too. Unofficially Mary Lou too. <laughs> I love how easy you adapted that. <laughs> yeah, I did not even question. In Mary Lou 2, all of that weird, crazy, you can get away with it because it's technically a nightmare sequence is happening in the real world. Yes. She because, is so powerful. But it's because it's a possession. Like, she's got to, like, take her over and she's got to weaken her spirit and she's got to, like, get in her. But, like, not only that, she fucking comes out of her. Like, she is, like, she, yeah, whoa, you're a, Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. Somebody is jumping to the third act here. Well, I'm just saying, like, as a possession movie. Oh, yeah. Mary Lou is a manipulator of time, space, and and teenage girl bodies that is just her essence everything can be used as a portal in her world chalkboards uh chests wooden trunks yeah wooden trunks in the prop room and teenage girls teenage girls she can come from the ethereal world of nothingness uh and exist anywhere i think she's gonna work to it though like so most of the majority of Mary Lou, we are actually following Vicky, and this is Vicky's soul inside Vicky's body, and she's slowly being taken over by Mary Lou. But in the first half of the film, it's with a lot of really fun um, visions and spooky dream sequences, and you know, cursed animated rocking horses. It isn't until I would say the middle or the second third of the movie that. Vicky actually becomes Mary Lou. Um, and side note, the actress's transformation into Mary Lou is fucking wonderful. Like, I know they She's put, incredible. They put lipstick on her and they, like, fixed her crimpy hair, but she so embodies her in the face and, like, all the mannerisms. She does such a great job. Like, see you later, alligator. Yes! <laughs> I, I love when she is now fully Mary Lou and her friends are like, she's acting weird. She's talking all, like, Elvis and stuff? I don't get it. <laughs> like, if my friend showed up and was reinventing himself as a person who talked like he was straight out of the late 50s, I'd go with it. Let's do this! Like, he's cool now. Let's be cool with him. <laughs> um, but also how you were saying this film belongs in the Nightmare on Elm Street world. There are so many fun moments in this movie that... I feel inspire modern moments in horror now. The entire first kill sequence where yes. Jess Browning, or where Jess, the the pregnant side friend, uh, the surprise, I'm pregnant and now I'm dead side friend. Yeah, it's like a Halloween episode of Degrassi. It, oh, well, yes. Okay, that's another <laughs> point I have. <laughs> but let me get this one out. That entire sequence is a final destination scene. Yeah, because it's the biggest tease it's, ever. Oh my god! Oh, you like so you so oh, much you... red. Oh, <laughs> so many red herrings. I oh, I just cannot. I love it. It's so good. It is such a bummer that that is at the beginning of the movie. I mean, like it definitely lets you know what you're in for, and it's not like it's the best part of the movie, but it is my oh, favorite so wonderful, part of this and movie. it's so petty on Mary Lou's part because she was just like, "What's this fucking gem doing on this? You take crown? off my fucking gem. And Mary you trying to wear like, my cape? No. And we just found out." she's pregnant it's it's so early in the film it's so dark and there's so much ghostly animation and there's the paper from the shredder floating around and the painting and the eyes on the painting and the the, the fucking cloak is murdering people you're just like what is this fucking movie but they also they tease you a kill that you so desperately want to see like and i still it's, no want to no. see it but it's the, it's the a, tease oh. is what makes it good <laughs> it's the greatest tease ever and i think the fact that it doesn't deliver on that is that like self-awareness of you know know how all the characters in this movie are pretty much all of them are named after iconic horror people so you know you're in these like tender loving hands and when they show you that paper cutter and they do not use it it's almost like you're everybody watching is touching their nose and winking at the people who made the film there's this like simpatico like oh i see i see and they're like we, we know the same story. <laughs> yes yeah. 
<laughs> yes. But also, it might even just, I was watching it this time, like, you know, if you want to, like, go behind the scenes on it, like, maybe they didn't have the budget to cut her head off with a paper cutter, but also, Mary Lou definitely couldn't play it off as a suicide. No, no teenage girl who finds out she's pregnant is going to cut her head off in a paper cutter. She may hang herself from the lights, but oh, surprise, we're going to toss her at the window instead. <laughs> Just a little, a little extra touch. I wonder if that was one of the additional scenes they shot to try and tie it into the prom night universe. I have no idea what the original film looked like because it was a haunting movie, so it did have paranormal stuff. I know they refilmed the chalkboard sequence and the rocking horse were all additions. I'm not sure about the quote-unquote suicide. How long do we have to wait before we can talk about the chalkboard sequence? Let's be real. We've already kind of talked about it, so, I mean, we can oh, we can open the floor. Have we, but have we really? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, we can open the floor to the chalkboard of the floor. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I do love that sequence. Obviously, it's amazing. It, it does feel very Nightmare on Elm Street, and it's just the coolest goddamn idea. And I love that it's not just hands pull her into the chalkboard but the chalkboard's also like this whirlpool that sucks her down and there's letters yeah and the they get they, they get mixed around, around oh. and stuck uh it's genius it's even genius. just the fucking help me written backwards it, yeah. it, it separates you like there's like different planes and you see that kind of in the way mary lou talks when she comes but also when at the end when vicky comes back this film has a ethereal plane that exists in say like poltergeist yeah, where there's yeah. There's this purgatory or whatever. And we know Mary Lou is there because when she kills the priest in the confessional, she basically tells him that that there is no heaven. And where I was, there was nothing good. That was such no a weird fucking, fucking scene. Wings. Right? Oh, that's the biggest <laughs> piss off. Yeah, of course. But do you like it more when a, when a villain comes back from the dead and has that to say? Like there was nothing? It almost makes the, the killing darker. I think it's interesting too because... Mary Lou is a sinner, but she was still a child. Mm. So she could have, she could have had her whole life ahead of her. And well, yeah, and I mean, I sh- I'm sure she could have convinced the guy at the door. Like, I'm sure she could have gotten <laughs> Mary in. Lou. Are you kidding me? Oh, totally. She could talk her way into heaven. <laughs> They're not gonna give her those wings, but you know, at least she's there at the party. Yeah, my I think my favorite thing about this movie is. And, and this is kind of like, um, I guess, like the female empowerment point that I'm going to sure. make is just how cool Mary Lou is as a bad girl and how much she just allows herself to be completely sexual. And and the the entire film, too, I think, is kind of a statement on like the terror of sexualizing women and like when when girls become women and we have to start looking at them like sexual beings and i think that's like the horror of it all mm. but it's great that mary lou is just that's that her whole character personality and trait is that she's just like yeah i like having sex i'm a little mean about it i'm going to dump my boyfriend at prom and start sleeping with this other guy i don't know it's just it's a character that you don't normally see especially for like high school age all of the characters are normally vickies yeah Right out of the gate at the confessional, she's confessing to using the Lord's name in vain and being mean to her parents and being with many, many boys and loving it. That's the big thing. I honestly, I think the image of just her leaving, like, for a good time, call Mary Lou inside the confessional in lipstick is the coolest fucking thing ever. It's such great imagery, too, for the the movie because it adds that, like, pop of hot pink that is just, like, so iconic with your prom queen and your prom and your femme fatale. Like, your teenage femme fatale, she would not be in a Jessica Rabbit red suit. She would be in a pink prom dress. Mm, good point. Really good point. Her fucking death at prom is... 
awful. Let's be real. First, it looks great. It's I I oh I love a good burn, like a good bot, like full body burn. It's Apparently so at dangerous. The, at the time uh, that this came out, that was like the longest burn. Scene. No shit. Yeah, it was like the longest human on fire scene. I guess that's at crazy. The time. Yeah. What I love about it is that you still, most of the time when you get like a full body burn, you can usually see they are wrapped in a whole lot of bandages. It's just like some like Michelin man. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm melting. Yes, exactly what you get. But they, they, they were still able to keep the sort of the shape of a skinny prom girl burning alive. And like also the close-up shots of her, like it's obviously not her, but like they look great. They look awesome. Oh, just like making eye contact. Like I'm coming back and I'm coming back for you. Oh, well that's, that's <laughs> the thing that hurts so much about that scene too, because she like, okay, yeah, she's dying. I'm sure it hurts. She's scared. It looks awful, but she looks up and sees who killed her. And it's her boyfriend. It's her boyfriend. Who she did just, you know, humiliate and emotionally obliterate but definitely still, not deserving a full body death no <laughs> full body death. <laughs> full body top to bottom death fire from the shoes to the corsage i gotta say right now though you know she was being um a little snippy with i don't know who was giving her the crown and the cape if she had a said yes to that cape that the missus was having a hard time undoing she might have survived. I don't know, John. That was a lot of polyester. Well, yeah, but the cape catches on fire. You take off the cape and run. I think the cape might have saved her life if she had to put it on, is all I'm saying. Let's be real, though. Like, Mary Lou was a victim of happenstance, but she definitely would have brought her own downfall irregardless. Like, if she didn't get murdered by, accidentally murdered her by her high school sweetheart, she would have been, like, on purpose murdered by her second husband twice removed. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's gonna, he's gonna drug her up, spill ash a bunch of vodka all over the car and put a brick on the gas pedal <laughs> off Mulholland Drive. Right? <laughs> like, honestly, what a way to go. You know, for Mary Lou, great story arc. And of course, Dinkhead Boyfriend grows up to be the principal of the high school. Why wouldn't he move away? Why would you, like, if that's... Small town vibes, John. (laughs) Small town vibes. I can't, I can't go anywhere else. This is where my secret is. I must maintain it. I will say he is quite broody even before the ghost arrives. (laughs) He really is. Like, what do you mean you're not going to go to high school, son? Like, when when that fucking picture smashes in his office, it's like he's been waiting all this time for, oh, like, oh, God, I got to check the trunk. She's finally coming back. She never promised you she was coming back from the dead, buddy. What if that's it, though? What if it's always been that there's, like, an assumption or a oh, that's fear. why he became principal. That's why he became principal. He's been guarding he's been the wait- trunk yeah. this whole time. He's been waiting for this day. Why didn't he fucking like throw the crown and the sash in the ocean? I guess because maybe he knew that like if she ever came back, her unfinished business is that she was <laughs> never crowned, and I can send her back to the netherworld with the tiara. This is the greatest thing. Mary Lou is vengeful and, you know, deserving of revenge. She kills some people that don't deserve it, for sure. But she's also incredibly petty, and that's what makes her so good. Yeah, like, some of the people she kills do not deserve it. But also, she just wants that fucking crown. Like, if they had to put that crown on her before she got lit on fire, maybe she'd still just be in that ethereal world. The stupid thing, though, is that she came out of the the same chest that the crown was. Where the crown was! She, I think she just wanted a body, though. Like, she just wanted to be a prom queen. She wanted to to inhabit the prom queen again. She wanted her day in the spotlight. Do you think that Mary Lou manipulated the initial vote count? Or do you think Vicky was naturally voted prom queen? That's a great question. Because, uh, so, our computer nerd, who I love, Lil Einstein. Lil Einstein. Um, gets 
rewarded in order to change the winner on the computer tally, the super sophisticated polling system they have. Reward is one way to do it, <laughs> to say it. And Mary Lou murders him and changes it back to Vicky. Yeah. But it was Vicky initially. Was it? Did yeah. Did we ever actually see the screen? It was. Okay. I think she manipulated it. I don't know that that girl was really pulling enough votes in the last like days before prom. Because she definitely had that air of like, oh shit. She's the cool kid in town now. Vicky's being all swell over here. <laughs> being all swell. She's she's seeing see you later, alligator. She's got my vote. <laughs> she probably won, sure. I don't think she manipulated it. It's fun to think that she did anyway, though. She's been a ghost for pff, 40 years, right? At this 30 years at this point. Yeah, but she wasn't really active until Vicky came down and bumped into the chest and was like, whoopsie doody. Yeah. <laughs> Pulled out the sash. She was just writing for the right girl. Oh, you know what? No, like what? Oh, I wish, I wish we had more time of her sort of like taking out revenge on Principal Billy's son, because then like that could have been what it was all about. She was waiting for him to have a kid that was prom age. Ooh, so she could hurt him. She could hurt him real bad, right? That would have been awesome. She just wanted that crown. Pretty much. Like, I, that was goal one. I like Goal two petty was villain. petty revenge. Yeah, petty revenge. <laughs> revenge along the way. Like, shrugging revenge. Yeah, who cares? As long like as you're looking guess. good doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is kind of true that, that Vicky is almost not the, the right type of person. Maybe it's because there is kind of a revenge in tainting this, like, really God-fearing girl who's got her super religious mom. And I wouldn't say she's pious, but she's she's a good girl. Yeah. I think she's happy about who she is, but you could make an argument that Mary Lou is everything she wants to be. Or like, yeah, like she needs a little touch of Mary Lou in her life. Yeah. But more Mary Lou style is definitely the mean girl, Kelly. Yes. Who, side note. I'm sitting here. Sorry. I I was was providing (laughs) space for you to say it. She plays the voice of Serena in the Sailor Moon dub version. <laughs> it took a long time to get it. I don't know. Maybe it's just like such a Canadian thing, though. Is it? Sailor Moon's huge. Yeah, but it was all done in Canada. Like all the voices are Canadian actors. This does feel so Canadian, though. And I maybe it's maybe it's because of like the Hamilton High. And... Maybe it's the several scenes that take place in coffee shops. <laughs> well, and the the university they mention, and you were saying the AM radio station they listen to. Like, there's a lot of like specifically Toronto area. Yeah, and like Michael Ironside's Canadian. Super Canadian. Super Canadian. So, like, as Canadian as can be. <laughs> Side note, this is kind of a depressing fact. While we were Uh-oh. watching this, you know this. I don't want to hear it. Uh, while we were watching this, we were like, oh, you know what we should do? We should check and see if Hamilton High still exists and we could drive up for it and we could take some promo photos for this episode at the actual high school. We were going to have Matilda there. It was going to be great. We don't live very far from Hamilton proper. Apparently they filmed this in Edmonton, so I was like, fuck. So that's not happening. Well, of course. Like, this is how you get a bunch of teenagers. Well, they're not teenagers, but like early 20-year-olds to come to your high school movie, movie shoot. Like, you want to go hang out uh, near the biggest mall in the world at the time? And they're like, <laughs> biggest mall? It's the 80s. That's our kryptonite. I I haven't looked up filming locations for the initial prom night, though. So maybe we could. Fingers crossed. Because I think that was Toronto area. Probably. I don't know. Who knows? The internet knows. (laughs) But doesn't Mary Lou give you total, like, still on the Canadian vibe, total Are You Afraid of the Dark vibes? The whole movie does. I can't remember what, what episode or what story it was. But there's one about the prom queen and her boyfriend who died at like the Devil's Pass, and it's of like course. right by the cemetery. 
and one of our characters like meets her in the graveyard and she's like waiting for the ride that never came <laughs> and every time I watch this I think about that Are You Afraid of the Dark episode because I probably watched that when I was like seven or eight yeah and I need can't to wait f- till I can go to prom. I need to find it. Well, it's like, I want to be a prom queen ghost. <laughs> Not even prom. I just want to <laughs> skip prom. I want to be the prom queen and ghost. And then when I discovered Hello, Mary Lou, prom night two, I was like, I want to be a petty Mary Lou. Yeah. I will say that all of the scenes pre-possession where she's having sort of flashes inside the school that like the school is now sort of like in It's hell. like decayed. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, are you afraid of the dark to me? So true. It feels like the intro. Yeah. We're watching a bunch of leaves. And I, I'm pretty sure there are a lot swings. of lockers in Are You Afraid of the Dark? Hell of a lot of lockers. Do you want to talk about the... I <laughs> want to talk about that locker smush. Oh, it's so, oh, so good. Solid smush. And I, I wonder if the entire scare was just born out of the idea that like, oh yeah, you know, occasionally uh, kids that are being bullied might hide in their locker. I don't know, maybe we can do something with that. Or just like, well, our poster art is going to be Mary Lou coming out of a locker, so we need an extended locker sequence for it to make sense. Well, wouldn't that be great if that's how they reverse engineered it? <laughs> well, apparently the original screenwriter too, and there's something really interesting about the scene in that there's a lot of ne- nudity in it. Yes. The screenwriter didn't write the characters to be nude throughout okay. the entire scene, but there's something really... I don't know, cool well, about we, it? we also said it as soon as she came into the room and <laughs> took her towel off. We both, at the exact same time, like, said, power, power move! move. <laughs> like, ultimate mean girl power move. Not really. I mean, I don't. when I'm thinking of mean girls being mean, I'm thinking of them taking off all their clothes <laughs> just to go there's, make out with their friend in the there's shower. There's something so uncomfortable about it, and I think it's a lot of the reasons, too, why, like, um, Mary Lou, when she's inhabiting Vicky, she, like, kisses Vicky's dad and stuff. It's like she yeah. confronts all these weird, unsaid tensions, and, like, she kisses her best friend Vicky's best friend and she's walking around completely like starkly naked and it's like this this confronting sexuality thing that that Mary Lou I think in a way she's maybe her only tool the only tool in her toolbox for which she can rebel against the church or fight back against like the religious upbringing she's had and that she's just like so blatantly over-sexualized but there's there's like a level of ownership to it that when when vicky is naked that entire scene you're just like yeah you be haunted (laughs) (laughs) i mean like i wasn't a teenage girl and i i don't i do not have a teenage daughter but i would i would assume like seeing it through her eyes that she is the only person not scared of her own body is kind of how I look at it. I mean, she is, like, totally possessed in this moment, so, like, somebody get the girl a crucifix, but, like, (laughs) you own it, Mary Lou. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think she's she's just totally just owning it. And there's no, like, it's a a women's change room. There's no men in the scene. There would be no men in the scene. There's no janitor that happens upon them. Like, there's no goofy witnessing that you would normally have. Like, the principal doesn't stumble in and throw a towel on her. Like, she does this full kill naked. Yeah, and, I mean... Typically in in kills, if you see somebody who's naked, you're trying to put them in a vulnerable position. Like she would have been vulnerable. There is anyway. no vulnerability. It's, I mean, not for um, not for Vicky here. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, but also, like cinematography wise, it looks so fucking good from inside that locker where we've got like just a few like bits of light shining in. It, special effects wise, when she just smushes the lockers, it is the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, it's like pretty gross goop yeah well it's brain bits is how it's I a bunch it, of yeah. bits like it's blood mixed with body ish yeah yeah yeah. it's, it's not just blood ugh. yeah uh, <laughs> i love it but i love how sudden it is too and how it's like a doo-wop like she's singing a song and when she hits that final yeah, beat that's bop, oh and then the like the cans crunch the lockers crunch like cans a wop, 
so good. But also, um, this scene I totally think inspired the final showdown in the faculty with the main alien character. Was there a locker portion of that? There was, where okay. when we find out who the killer is in the faculty, yeah. they walk nude through the entire final sequence. In the faculty. And it's in like a locker room. Okay. You don't remember this? I think maybe it's just the villain that's naked. Because I know there's a part. It is. Oh, okay. My mistake. I think when you say that's, the... I'm trying to be vague just in case people haven't <laughs> you seen, haven't seen the it. faculty. Okay. I didn't want to reveal who the, the killer is. But Got it's it. that same. This wasn't a plural thing. My mistake. <laughs> yeah. It's that same like power move kind yeah. of thing. What do you think? Like, it's a prom movie. What do you think of the prom? I was trying to get, I was trying to figure out the theme of the the modern day prom. Squiggly neon lights, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of neon lights, but they they paint like math symbols and stuff on the walls. So I think it's actually like an Einstein prom. I don't know about that. <laughs> there's E equals MC squared that, on the yeah, wall, which I don't get. <laughs> May, like, yeah, maybe it's just like love of numbers is the theme. They're just like it's a school. We should have school subjects school on the theme. wall. Over here we've got science stuff, and over here we've got dancing. But Mary Lou's prom is definitely tropical. Like there's palm trees everywhere. Yeah, there's, there's a like, palm tree inside the punch. Hanging lanterns and stuff. So. I mean, there's a theme for the new prom. We just don't, we are just not sure what it is. The theme is the 80s. (laughs) We like neon lights and lots of stuff. I'm surprised, given how things went at the last prom Mary Lou attended, that she didn't check the rafters or just do something to stop people from being able to walk up the rafters. That's true. She was literally shot from the same vantage point that the smoke bomb burnt her alive yeah you'd think she would like every time she gets on stage just gives a little like side eye to the to the <laughs> rapper always aware of what's above her head <laughs> just a tiny bit of anxiety would just be expected at this point i know he's the principal so he's got access to go anywhere but by based on every prom movie i've ever seen we should not allow people any access to rafters or any high school movie in general, like The Gallows, any of those found footagey movies, just like block it off. <laughs> They're a thing of the past. We don't need them anymore. How much though did you find your your brain going to carry? Like how much, how hard was it to permanently like sever yourself from Carrie? Because I, I I found my brain like even when they were in the locker room sequence, the prom sequence, when we had the person in the rafters throwing the smoke bomb, and when when Mary Lou dies. Like, it's hard not to think of Sissy Spacek and Carrie. Um, I think the only time I thought of it is when Mary Lou sort of emerges as, like, undead Mary Lou. Oh, and so good. And regenerates in front of everybody while there's all this chaos and, you know, the mean girl gets stabbed with a neon light. Um, that, that was, I think that was the only time that I thought about Carrie. Everything else, I'm just, I'm in this movie. Honestly, my biggest, like, this is reminds me of Carrie takeaway is that I totally think... Vicky is like the perfect amalgamation of Carrie, Sissy Spacek, yep. and her mom. Oh shit! Because of the frizzy hair. Oh, totally. <laughs> because of the hair. Well, I mean, it doesn't. It it definitely helps that her mom is super religious. Super and, religious. Yeah. We should have at least had something with mom at prom in 1957. Well, yeah, because her these... mom and her dad, Vicky's mom and Vicky's dad, are in the same kind of age group as the principal and the priest. Absolutely. So, like, surely they were among that that high school. Yeah. I mean, like, we definitely have the the two guys who are not even responsible for her death i guess but like it was an accident like uh, it's an unfortunate accident the other two points of the love triangle that forced an unfortunate accident 
are in the movie and one of them has retreated into a life at the church like maybe mom could have been a mean girl who hated mary lou who did also didn't help her or something maybe it's just too many reshoots they're like eh. it's too much nobody can't nobody likes mom anyway we're gonna throw her through a door later and everybody will cheer <laughs> which is true and we did and we did we felt bad but uh, we I still did mom's a jerk I'm trying to make us come out as looking looking a little better, John. Okay, well then let's just talk about how weird it is that she's mad at her daughter for making out with her husband than she yeah. was at her husband for making out with his daughter. Yeah, like, mm, I think you're... Mm. Your wires are crossed, lady. She walked in, she's like, you harlot! She was. She didn't walk in and say, you pervert. She should have been kicking her husband out of the house. Yeah. Because he was very into it. The parents were a little problematic. Let, let, you know, like, the whole makeout scene, like, maybe there was some possession involved. We don't know. But, yeah, like, it was just... Mm. <laughs> it's just it's just strange. Mm. I, I, I think that all it's really supposed to do is just show that Mary Lou has power over the afterlife and they, anybody who comes near her. Like, everybody is powerless to, to Mary Lou. Yeah. I will say, there was one thing missing from this movie, and I I would really just, you know, maybe even just some fan art could fix it for me. Some okay. Mary Lou fan art. I missed the opportunity mm-hmm. for Mary Lou to be wearing the football player's letter jacket. How cool. And if, or like even just like her at the end, like sitting on the edge of a car or something with like the jacket over her shoulders and like ML, like embroidered on the jacket. I just want a Mary Lou letter, like letter jacket. You just want it to exist so you can buy it. Yeah. You, okay. So if that happened back in 1987, by 2020, some indie company would have made it so you could have spent money so on it. So I could have. Yes. Okay. I just want, <laughs> I just want what's coming to me. I just, I just want, want my, my fair share. share. <laughs> so that's my only uh my only want for this film that's is... a shame too because you're right like i mean the principal spoiler alert at the end dad is taken away the unpossessed vicky and her boyfriend his son craig craig and they're 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 gonna get the hell out of there away from safety and like oh hey they're playing our song and your big fucking crazy oh, michael ironside smile and he we drive looks up. amazing he looks like so evil like jack nicholson in batman evil. right michael ironside can turn on a fucking dime oh so in t- he becomes an entirely different person he's incredible and it was like a half a second and it's what you the movie closes on it's like so mwah. the fucking it's license so fucking plates perfect. is mary lou too mary lou too oh it's it's great but that's i also want a mary lou too license plate we should get one but that was that was definitely the opportunity for somebody to wear a letter jacket either we could have put it over vicky because she's cold yeah she's in her dress she's covered in her weird ectoplasm goop uh, from or, the poltergeist universe from the poltergeist universe or uh, or dad could have been wearing it and put on some sun sunglasses. Absolutely. Because only bad girls drive with sunglasses at night. Oh, snap. Okay, John, so what is your rating of Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, otherwise known as Mary Lou 2? It's a very easy four out of four. I think this movie's incredible. I honest, I don't know anything that I would change. Well, like, apart from the missing letter jacket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it leaves a big hole. And I'm willing to give it a bump. I'm sure somebody was like, hey, how about this letter jacket? And they were like, oh, maybe we'll get to it later if we have time. Put it in the haunted trunk. <laughs> yeah. You know what you need to do is just make that jacket, release it, and be like, it was used in a deleted scene that I've heard rumors of. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to my podcast. <laughs>
Uh, yeah, so I'm a four out of four as well. Yeah, obviously. this movie kicks a lot of ass. It's fucking wonderful. And I'm so happy that it was on. It was a season finale for Joe Bob Briggs' last drive in last in season one. And their little prom was so cute. Yeah. Oh, that that was great. But it was also just a lot of fun to watch people live seeing the movie for the first time. Yeah. You don't get that opportunity a lot. I mean, like, why haven't I seen this Nightmare on Elm Street yet? Exactly. <laughs> it's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I would, you know, we're about to pair it with something entirely different, but I would highly suggest you watch it alongside Freddy's Revenge. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. All right, all right. Yeah, all right, all right. But this is prom week. And That's like runner-up proms, I guess? But we're going to talk about another prom sequel, The Rage, Carrie 2. At your age, it's perfectly normal to be afraid of turning out like your parents. Is that scary for you? All your life, you've known that you were different. It must be nice not having to be like everybody else. Sometimes I really wish I could just be one of the shiny, happy people, you know? Come on, this girl's just a skank. You don't even know her. What, and you do? Yeah, I what do you know her. <laughs> the others don't understand you. At least be seen with someone cool, someone who counts. Maybe somebody needs to teach the two of them a little lesson. And they... Rachel. ...don't want you around. If you want to talk out your feelings... No! Well, to hell with them. So you want to know how I'm feeling today? When Rachel was growing up, did you ever see objects move by themselves? What is wrong with this picture? You've heard of Carrie White, haven't you? 73 people died night of the prom. Next semester. Rachel! Terror. Dude, it's her! It's her doing it! Runs no! in the family. The Rage Carrie 2. Mm. 
just another killer party. The Rage, Carrie 2, is currently sitting at a 4.7 out of 10 on IMDb, 20% on Rotten Tomatoes, 2 out of 4 from Roger Ebert, and a 2.3 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Yeah, I kind of expected that. Just down the middle? Yeah, just like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's not Susie Spacek. (laughs) It's the problem with all sequels and reboots, more or less, right? It's okay. kind of it's kind of the problem with the the Carrie remake. Okay, so what is the problem? That it's just like, yeah, I've seen this. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not for people that are in love with the original anyway. It's for a new audience. Yeah, this is definitely for 90s teenagers. Like it's it's delivering that classic Carrie bullying, be careful who you bully story to the Gen Y, Gen Xers. When I think Gen X, I think like mid 90s has already dropped out of college that's the age group that i'm thinking of like delivers pizza but writes poetry on the inside of the pizza box like paul rudd (laughs) (laughs) paul rudd and clueless is gen x exactly i will say i saw this movie when it came out this this was my second time watching it for the podcast and i hadn't seen it since it came out and i saw it in 1999 or whatever 11 year old 10 year old uh, kim oh yeah i i remembered really liking this movie couldn't but wait to grow up and get your telekinetic powers just couldn't wait it, it was actually like my first suicide too i think my first i got film exp- no just my first experience with suicide as like a concept oh uh so i, I remember when that like we saw that scene i remembered that really like it, it jogged something in me like really? oh yeah this was my first time with having to grapple with like what that was interesting and I just anticipated, like, oh, high school is going to be filled with friends murdering themselves. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so, like, I hadn't revisited Carrie, and I think that that comes down to, and I'm sure we talked about this when we uh, when we initially talked about Carrie. I don't remember what podcast that was, but I'm sure we've talked about Carrie before. We have. Yeah. Is that the, the Carrie formula, unfortunately, is a little tedious. Yeah. Which is terrible to say, but in the the regular arc of a story... You're not waiting for the last 15 minutes. Like, the premise of Carrie is that the last 15 minutes are a horror movie. Oh, you can't wait. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's both the the amazing thing of why Carrie was so shocking and the 1976 film was such a, like, phenomenon on its own. Seeing it in a sequel, yes, they kind of have to... They have to stay to the tried and true core at to the original story in that it has to be like an outcast female and la 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 and the end needs to be that fiery explosive denouement so i guess you can't really go beyond a 2 out of 4 if that makes sense because I know what it's you're just saying. like you have to do this you you can't break out of that you could but then you'd have people arguing that it's not a carry movie you can't argue that this isn't a carry movie it's a creative take on a carry movie they got that tattoo thing going on that's um, true it's a weird choice it's still on that same highway. This movie also is very aware of the Carrie story. I think it does a great job of making it sort of town lore. Like, it happened so long ago that for these kids, it's just an urban myth, almost, for yeah. them. Yeah, well, it's and they wouldn't, know the, they wouldn't know the paranormal element surrounding it because everybody that saw the paranormal aspect, apart from Seuss now, yeah. died. And who's going to believe a girl with such crazy nightmares? Well, and she's gone to therapy, so she's kind of put that whole period behind her and it isn't until she sees Rachel's powers that she's like ah oh, fuck telekinesis again not on my watch she's really interesting in this movie I don't know that I get enough 
I, I guess I want more of her trying to figure out whether or not it's uh, schizophrenia that she's seeing in Rachel. Yeah, there is no question about it. Like, and same goes for the filmmaker's intent too. Rachel has abilities. Yeah. And she knows she has abilities. She, we know she can't control them because she's very upset about it. She's just like, stop, stop. Don't rattle the teacups. But Sue Snell, she's a guidance counselor now at the modern version of the high school uh, that it was replaced after Carrie destroyed the old one. And she is on board right away. Like she sees Rachel manipulate a teacup or a coffee cup in her office and she's just like, fuck. And she's ready to deal with it right away. Yeah, but there there is like a half a moment where she's really under the assumption that this girl just has schizophrenia. And especially I see, based, I didn't see that. I, I well, I mean, maybe I'm getting it more from Rachel herself because that's how we know that's what we know about about her mom. Her mom is taken away from her at the beginning of the movie because she's mentally unstable, unable to take care of her own daughter. And, you know, naturally you would assume that that is something that could potentially be passed down. It's genetic. And there there is like a half a beat where Rachel is kind of a teenager living under that assumption that this is probably going to happen to her. She's ten times more likely to have it than anybody else. Yeah. And like there's like a small conversation where it seems like her and Sue Snell are, are having that. Yeah, but then Sue Snell's like, but can you move things with your mind? Well, see, I, <laughs> I think... That's a really interesting scene because she's giving her a quiz about whether or not she's quizzing her about her mental facilities, right? She's trying to find out for herself if this girl is schizophrenic, is essentially having daytime hallucinations. But you're right. Like, I think that question is one that she was just like, I can't wait to ask this well, one. She was, she was trying to, like, ink blot her, like, showing a bunch of random images and then one that's, like, clearly a dick. And then it's like, ha, I have Freudian cut you. <laughs> I just, I really would have liked more of that. Like, maybe maybe what I wanted, I guess, is ambiguity. Like, the idea that maybe she is just, yeah. Uh, like, maybe it is just a mental illness bent. But I, I, I also just like the idea of everybody looking at it as mental illness and nobody believing her. And then, you know, you get to that final act and yeah. it's big and crazy. Absolutely. But you can't... Well, I think... You gotta tell people what's coming. And I think why they didn't lean so hard into that, especially with Sue and Rachel's interactions, is because Sue is our only entry to the actual original Carrie flashbacks so throughout the movie Sue is taunted by her memories of what she did to Carrie and what Carrie ultimately did to all the teenagers of the town and every time Rachel reminds Sue of that period she's flashing back to Carrie moments so I think she has to believe in the telekinesis pretty early on because of how much they wanted to just call back to the original film yeah because like they they literally have clips from Carrie. Yeah, they sure do. It's the, there are a lot of moments in the movie that feel like '90s MTV. We get, oh, totally. At first, we we thought we were getting dog POV. I am still the firm belief. This is my real theory. It's is, okay. Is that all Carrie's powers are yeah. seen through the perspective of, of Walter dog. the dog? <laughs> that is definitely true for the front half of the movie. The vantage it, point is so low. I know. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost it there. <laughs> and it's black and white, which we all know this is how dogs see. How dogs see. And uh, yeah, he's he's the only witness to her powers. Like at the beginning of the movie when she's a little girl, when she's grown up a little bit and she's having some trouble at home, especially with, you know, the shitty jocks that come to terrorize her. 
But as the movie progresses, every time that she uses her powers, it goes black and white until that big final set piece at the at the party. I don't know why they do it. It's okay. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's just a, a, like in the same sense that one of the characters always has a video camera. It's like, the '90s, baby. It, we just like needed to force some some cam in there. Yeah, there's a lot of different perspectives in the movie. Like we shift all over the place, and. I got a small theory about the black and white stuff that I think is interesting. There's the dog. It's Walter. Well, it's... Okay. That's one. Okay. Second theory. The correct Alternate theory. theory. Oh. It's the Dark Lord. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know I've lost you. <laughs> but... No, this is good, though, because we're going to talk about Rachel's dad theories. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, that's exactly where I'm going. Okay. This movie, though, takes a huge leap. Well, yeah. And all of a sudden, Sue Snell, like, knows that it's a genetic character like telekinesis is a genetic trait that's only carried through fathers like (laughs) whoa snoo show me the scientific journal on that one i would love to see it but it doesn't exist it's yeah and she just immediately the movie tells us these are the rules this is what's happening out of left field yeah and it's it's when she goes to get rachel's mom out of the the i think it's arkham asylum is where she's being Uh, kept um yeah but yeah, like, so we're all on the same page. It's dad's fault. And she happens to have the same father as Carrie White. Ralph White was the biological father of both Carrie and Rachel. And that's where she gets her evil powers. Because it's carried through the men only. Yeah. It's Satan. I'm saying that makes for a more interesting movie for me to believe that he is the devil. It also and the, kind of and explains... the black and white POV shots is, is him witnessing her okay, power and okay, going, okay, yes, okay. my daughter. But it also yes. explains why the mothers are so, like, pious in their later life. That they're yeah, trying to, yeah, like, yeah. protect them from their inheritance or whatever. It... And also, maybe they're trying to uh, make amends with God. Like, they realize what they've done. And the only way I can possibly get into heaven after having Satan's baby is by going off the deep end with this stuff. We're going to overdose on God. Yeah. I see. Unfortunately, the film didn't come in, like didn't revisit the Ralph white plot at all. No. Like it barely touched on it. It was just enough that we were like, what? And then they (laughs) abandoned it completely. So who knows? Maybe in an early draft of the script, we do learn in that final sequence where Carrie or where, where Carrie too, where Rachel is burning down the house. (laughs) <laughs> did you see me realize halfway through i was like oh god um where when her mom is there they have this moment where she comes clean about her true lineage or something like maybe that was there because it, it almost time. feels like it needs it because the moment where her mom realizes that her daughter is like done terrible things like there could have been some some good yeah but then we would have two sort of emotional moments in the fire yeah like she because she has you know this interaction with jesse uh immediately after i didn't love I, so um, unfortunately like i'm kind of tried and true to the carrie original and that it needs to be a complete slope at the end like it needs to be all downer and they do try to like redeem that relationship with like the love storyline and and we're almost supposed to like feel sad for Rachel when she dies, but she's a tragic character. She has she has to die in that fire anyways. Yeah. She is not coming out of that, like, happy with her boyfriend. Yeah. Because he's going to find out that she's got telekinetic powers and killed everybody. <laughs> and they really don't show him in that scene, 
realizing that she's the one doing this. Like, That's I don't a great know point. If, if he has any awareness. Like, she, he showed up with the ex-girlfriend, sort of girlfriend, cheerleader girl, and Rachel kills her instantly right in front of him yeah and she hasn't done she i mean she was definitely involved in the bullying plot but rachel doesn't know that she just arrived well i think like carrie she's also just like well she's uh, in she's she's in rage mode yeah exactly (laughs) and we you can't you can't turn off when you're in rage mode like you just you gotta get out of the way that's all you cannot control alt delete rage mode yeah because there are plenty of people that don't deserve to die and it's especially in the original carry especially in the original carry but you're so right he there as far as he knows his girlfriend is the sole survivor of a terrible tragic house fire. Yeah. And, and she she's refuses like, to leave. She's like unscrewing the balcony while he's trying to tell her that he loves her. And it yeah. isn't until she gets the verification from the tape or whatever that she's like, ah. Which I th- honestly, that was a good moment. because I, I liked it too. But yeah. I, I, no, I didn't like it. I don't want any <laughs> it's redemptive. A it's, it's a different movie though, you know? Yeah, but. Mm. She's a different character. I will say watching this, I was expecting to dislike it i was expecting it to be not terror not dislike hmm i was expecting it to be a lot trashier than it was i was expecting this okay, to be yeah. a lot more of a fun campy conversation yeah and it does have some of those moments sure like uh when sue ultimately dies that's oh my god that's a moment <laughs> but i did want to commend the bullying in the movie because the actual plot at the core of this the the bullying element which is integral to the carry plot agreed was really well done. Yeah. It made I the be- whole second act of this movie probably better than Carrie 1976. I, yeah, I... Mm, you just mm, like, you got allegiances. I do. All. I do really like, it's hard. It's hard. I do really enjoy this though. And I think it stands on its own as a really interesting story about like a time capsule of teenagers in the 90s. Yeah. Not that I don't think this kind of bullying doesn't exist today. It reminds me so much, and maybe you've seen it, so maybe you know... There was a after school show. I'm not sure if it was it was either Degrassi or 90210, one of those like high school shows. But the whole episode is a girl is trying to impress these boys in the the hallway. Mm-hmm. They rate girls as they walk down their hall. Okay. Like they hold up signs with ratings. Oh. And to to get like a higher rating she goes with the popular girls in school to the mall and they all steal. And so she steals this sweater to get like a good rating. Okay. And the majority of the episode, from what I can recall, like it's, it's definitely like, don't change yourself for other people, but it's, it's primarily like a stealing is wrong. They all had to have multiple messages. I don't know what that is. I know it, but it resonated with me so much when I saw it. And this movie has a lot of that similar. Well, they steal lipstick. They, I guess they, they do steal lipstick. Don't steal and uh, don't be a bully. Although the lipstick stealing is kind of played for cool. Like, that's a little, like, the craft moment. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the whole, like, commodification of women is, like, a big theme in this movie. And it's pretty dark. Oh, yeah. I will say the bullies in... It's hard to even call them bullies. Like, they really go beyond that. The... Um, the criminals in Carrie 2 are worse than the the bullies slash criminals in Carrie 1976. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think it's a little bit of a stretch. Now, this is, this is hard to say because I'm not sure exactly where they are, but they do classify... So R- Rachel's best friend kills herself at the very beginning of the film because mm-hmm. she has slept with one of the jocks in the on the football team, and he 
separates ties with her because it's too cool to be dating a girl. You got to just sleep with her. You get points which are assigned based on like the girl's cool factor. Yeah. No, the technically the worse the girl, the more the points. It, exactly. Yeah. And she commits suicide right after this. It's a huge bummer. Mina Savari is such a great actress, I love especially her. in this time and she's period. She's so perfect. Like she's so perfect in all those like 90s movies. Right? Um She probably went right from this to the set of American Beauty, right? <laughs> anyway. And they are trying to get this guy on rape charges because he was 18 at the time. I don't know how much he had to fail to be 18. Right. And still on the football team. Statutory rape. And yeah, uh, in Canada, or at least in Ontario, the age of consent is 16. So, I mean, it's kind of a gray area there. There, obviously, it is. I would think, yeah, the age of consent there is But then 18. they try to get the rest of the football team on this thing because they've all slept with girls. And I'm like, is this whole football team 18? I mean, I definitely think the entire football team should be suspended <laughs> and then maybe expelled if they Brought don't up stop. On charges, yeah. Because the one girl kills herself and they don't really, we don't really expand that circle because uh, Sue Snell talks about how she's, she's had a, like a rush of girls coming into her office and crying because they've slept with guys and been hung out to dry. Yeah. There, there's a bigger story than Carrie there. The, the film doesn't want to go there. But uh, I don't know. I think uh, like if if we wanted to recut this movie as not a Carrie movie, like I would like to go down that the rest of that movie. It's not a horror film, but it's a horrifying story. Yeah, the other way you could have done this movie is instead of having just a big blowout at the party, unless the big blowout at the party was a giant trap. Rachel goes around and like avenges all of these like <laughs> these. Well, then it's because it still comes down to a "be careful who you bully" story, and that's not necessarily the best message. Anyways, it should be don't do that. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it is kind of a don't do that, but you should not do things at risk of being like burnt and fried to a crisp and and drowned under a pool cover. Although you love to see it. <laughs> yeah, you love to see it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, dropping a bunch of pig's blood uh, on somebody, like horribly humiliating somebody twice in the same school year in front of everyone is pretty terrible. It's pretty awful. They do... They do a lot of horrible things to Carrie uh, in 1976, but Rachel is, it's like they saw Lisa kill herself and they thought maybe we could do it again to a different girl. Yeah. That's fucked. It's so dark and especially because it's, it becomes like this complete dog pile. It's not just these terrible men. It's the girls as well. It's everybody. They're all involved. And And everybody else at the party too. When they finally show this tape of her uh, sleeping with Jesse and, you know, she thinks that he only did it to get points for this sick game they're playing. And they're all laughing at her. Nobody else at the party is like, the fuck is going on right now? Like, everybody gets in on it. And everybody's laughing and having a great time at her expense. And it's rough. Yeah, it definitely hurt me most, I think, emotionally watching how the the popular girls, like, took her under her wing. And then at the end were just as bad. Yeah. I don't know, like, girl world, I, I kind of experienced something similar when I was, like, pretty young. It's the only bullying I kind of think I've ever experienced, and it's so tame compared to this. But when I was in grade school, there was, like, a group of girls 
who were a year above me and they were like so cool like John you don't even know how cool <laughs> so cool I don't even remember their names um Heathers I assume yeah well total Heathers and I one year was in like a split class like the split up oh shit and this is your opportunity yeah and it was it was it very up. important like it was very cool because it was like a really weird split like it was 70% grade five and then like 30% grade four hmm. And so I was with like six other grade fours. And I think I was the only girl. And at recess one week, they started inviting me to hang out with them. And so like I would be playing with these older girls and all the younger girls got to see me hanging out with like these really cool girls. And then they just stopped. Like just nothing happened. Like there was no mean thing. They didn't humiliate me. No, no, no. Like nothing, nothing that big. But it was just like I was just back. I was just demoted all of a sudden. Yeah. And I saw them doing it with other people. Like that year it just became like a project for them. Yeah. To have like a revolving friend. Huh. Or like a placement that was always changing. And I don't know. Every time I see movies about like mean girls and stuff, it reminds me of that period of my life. And it, it just it just goes to show that like these bullying things are fucking real. And they do happen and they do like there's a reason why all the after school specials are about bullying and stuff because kids actually experience it. And there's not like my parents never talked to me about fucking bullying. Did your parents talk to you about bullying? I mean, after I'd already I mean, you were you were a, a big time. brother, though. They probably talked to you about bullying. They're probably like, don't be mean to your younger brothers. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that, I guess. Yeah. But like nobody. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like everybody gets bullied. It sucks. Yeah, that's my bullying story. That's it crazy. wasn't even bullying, but it, it fucking hurt like bullying. I like, bet it would hurt a lot less if you pretended that they were aliens and they were just trying to one by one study these human girls. Mm, yeah. See how must they act tick. like regular eleven year old girl. <laughs> yeah. We've wrung all we can out of this one. Send her back. <laughs> <laughs> it's all a ruse. But yeah, that's my bullying story. That's my, you know, if I carry white powers, I probably would have carried white it all over the uh, baseball diamond or something. That's the thing that makes these movies so interesting, though, is because everybody, I think, at one point wishes they had them carry powers. Like, and you know, Are you, you saying you want to mass murder people at a large scale? Or? You mean to tell me as a teenager, there wasn't at least one moment where you wished you could explode on everybody. Yeah. 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 And I mean, half Or at a, least like burn a, my bedroom door shut. Yeah, something like that. Something right? like that. Just some alone time would be good. I had a lot of alone <laughs> time. I'm just whining. <laughs> Do you have any bullying stories you want to share? I mean, sure, if you want. Yeah, I mean. I'm just trying to <laughs> guys out now, five years into this podcast, four years in this podcast, on yeah. uh, whether you have telekinetic powers or not. I definitely do not. I wish I did because it's very hard to punch somebody when you're super scared of them. And it took years to get to that point. You punched somebody? Oh, yeah. Very hard. And like very, very hard. And it was after two, three years of being bullied at in elementary school. So, I mean, like it was same age group as you. Were they cool? They were all my friends. <gasps> and then they just weren't. And then I had, and then it was, there was no friends. And then, and then they would be my friend again, but only enough so that way I wasn't just off in the corner being bullied at from afar. And then what's, and so then, yeah, then I, uh, my parents put me in boxing was the idea. Um, and I was going to learn how to fight before <laughs> taking on these bullies because I guess just ignoring them, um, 
wasn't doing anything. Like, all of the advice adults were giving me. And I, I remember at one point asking, why is this entire episode just no. becoming this? No, it's good. I remember at one point... At I'm totally into this story. ...being at a family function, and it was the topic of conversation about what John the, should do. The adults were... To, were, were well, more than just the adults, it Drawing was, out play-by-plays on the picnic table. Well, I think... I think what it, you do is you go around the third tree, because they will not expect it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do remember having a conversation with all of my older cousins, who were already in high school at this time. And they're friends, because my cousins had the coolest friends. <laughs> like, to me, like, I was just like, these guys are the best. And uh, th- there was a lot of, like, okay, so, I mean, like, have you ignored I mean, them, didn't Bobby give you some cred, though? Because, like, no, not to brag here, but John's best friend growing up was in high school. Well, that was the problem, I guess, right? Is that I didn't... Oh, like, mesh with your, like, age group as much because you had Bobby, like, as your neighbor? Yeah, so, I mean, like, my one of my closest neighbors was my best friend, and I hung out with a lot of his friends, and then one year... And they year, were all in high school. Well, they weren't originally. Eventually, they aged out of elementary school, went and then to they high were school, and then high- I was by myself, oh. <laughs> you know? So, uh, there's that. Um, but, yeah, there, there was this family function where my cousins were essentially just like, okay, so you've done... Like, they were going through all the things of, like, a good kid is supposed to do to try and stop bullying, and then they were just like... I think he got to beat one of them up. Like, there was just a general consensus around him and all of his cool friends. Like, I think, yeah, I think he got to fight one. <laughs> like, and one day I worked up enough courage where somebody, they called me Susan was the thing, right? And, uh, and I mean, I was also fat, so there was, there was that tacked on. But yeah, one day somebody said it and I was just like, what did you say? Like, and I just pretended like I couldn't hear him and I got close enough to just you hit like him Joe, so fucking you hard. You Joe Pesci'd him. What did you say to me? What did you call me? <laughs> oh, I hit him so hard and it was so great. And I got in school suspended for a day or two. Uh, because... That's because they have to suspend you, but they yeah. don't want to. Well, yeah, because they, what they did was they, they gave him an out-of-school suspension. And you see how that one's more serious. He got to stay at home with his PlayStation and I got to hang out in the library. Um, yeah, and then when I came home, my dad gave me 20 bucks. What? Yeah, there was like a, I got suspended and my dad was just like, yeah! <laughs> like everybody was so happy that I finally stood up to bullies. Did they stop yeah. bullying you? It kind of, it would kind of come back uh, here and there. And they, it was like we were all kind of friends again. And then it's like they tried to adopt it as a nickname. And, uh, and you're like, no, no, no. <laughs> I, mean, I never had to, I never had to fight anybody again. But it, it's not like, I went from being like... So you did totally carry white on somebody, though. Kind of, yeah. But it's it's like it's not like like all of a sudden like people didn't like lift me up by the seat of my chair and just like cheer me around. <laughs> well, they didn't do that to Carrie. Either. That is very true. I did mean, large scale here. Like I did fare better than Carrie. But yeah, I kind of just. Every, it's not like everything was oh everything was solved after that. But I mean everything was a lot easier after that. Yeah. Wow. She should have punched one of them bullies. She didn't have a chance. Is her problem? No. And, I mean, you can't solve her fucking problems with just a single punch. Well, and the problem, too, is there's, like, a lot of misinformation because, like, even in the original Carrie, like, she doesn't know. And this is the saddest part about Carrie is that she doesn't know that her date, like, genuinely started to like her. Are we talking, like, well, in both of them, yeah. Well, oh, she, sorry, in the original. In the original. And he's knocked out. And he's, And Sue Snell is locked out of the gymnasium. Yeah, so she doesn't know. She never learns that there are genuine, decent people in the world. Yeah. And, I mean, I, you can question how, like, the Snoo... I can't remember his name. I want to call him Victor, but I know that's not right. Who, Tommy? Tommy. It is Tommy. All right. Um, and, her, and Tommy, her boyfriend, are... 
trying to do a nice thing. It's kind of questionable. It's kind of weird because you know they're still dating and it's it's more of like a pity date. Yeah. But Tommy genuinely likes her. He enjoys her company and it's yeah. almost like, oh, Snoo's going to have a problem at the end of this. And he's so happy to be standing up on that stage in front of everybody with her. Like regardless of whether or not he's going to date her. And it's yeah. ever going to go beyond that. He's, he's not ashamed. He's happy for her. Yeah, exactly. And and it's just like such a decent moment with two decent human beings just being like burnt to the ground, like literally. It's pretty tragic. And that's the, see, that's the magic that's missing from the end of Carrie 2. Just because I, that character, as much as she deserves the redemption and, and to see love and to feel love, she's a tragic character and she doesn't get it. I think the problem is that the rest of the movie is so dark. Like, you can't end on that because then it's just a huge downer. Like, wow, life was shit for this girl from the beginning and it never got better ever. Carrie, ever. 1976. Is, this, <laughs> is it 1976? I keep saying it's 76. You know, no, I'm pretty sure it's 76. Okay. Yeah. Good point. Yeah, it's a, that's a juggling act that Brian De Palma was able to pull off. But I don't know. I think it's, I th- yeah, the, the assholes and rage in the rage are just so much they're so bad but they are very well written at first i was just like we first see them at the beginning i was like oh these are not real people and you was the first said the first thing out of your mouth while i was literally saying that was just like i know these guys like you're just (laughs) like i you know how many times i've heard i've I've literally first person heard people say this and i was just like what it was it opened my mind because i was just like these people don't exist yeah like i i will say like but then i remembered that rating episode of that that after school special. And I was like, <laughs> they do exist. If, if you rewatched the rage carry Two for this podcast, or you've seen it recently. Um, and you have never met guys like this in the real world. They exist. I'm mean, we're in Canada. Apparently we're all nice. They exist up here too. Like every, every single thing that is said in this movie, I have heard somebody say to me unironically. It's so weird. Yeah. And I see, and I think that's something important too, that I don't know is, is being tackled appropriately. And this comes back to my, like, commodification of women point. Yeah. And even when Rachel's trying to, like, lose her virginity to Jesse, there's there's so much of, like, guys are always ready to lose it and women have to, like, give it up. Yeah. And, like, it's like, okay, well, when you're ready, we'll do it. And it it's, it's for women to finally concede to. Yeah. There just needs to be, like, yes, we need to prepare women for being pawed at, but there's something about only saying that, you are going to be commodified, especially going into high school because it happens so fast. Like all of a sudden you've gone through puberty and then you're going through sexual experiences while everybody else is going through sexual experiences and you're all kind of doing that for the first time together in that Petri dish called high school. Mm -hmm. And women are really just set up to go in there and like guard up. You know what I mean? It's interesting. Until somebody breaks you down long enough or somebody's nice enough to you. Because I, I don't know, like, I, I never really had conversations with my parents about sexuality or anything. I was the youngest kid and I had older siblings who had kind of seen go, go through it all. So, like, I was definitely a lot more mature than people my age. And I'd kind of seen all of, like, the relationship and emotional stuff before I had to tackle it or before I had to deal with it. Mm-hmm. But there was always an air of, like... Things are going to come at you, not you are going to be experiencing things. Like, you were never the the aggressor or the offensive in those situations. It was literally something that you hold that you give up. 
And I think there's there's got to be a way that we can talk about sexuality with young girls where it's not this like guarded thing that you have to protect and you have to like figure out when's the most important part to like share it with someone. I think that's also probably why you were responding so well to Mary Lou in the front half of this episode, right? Yes, because, exactly. Because like, yes, Mary Lou is, you know, okay, but she's a villain. But I mean, like before she dies, and she's I mean, a she's a little much in the sexuality, but it's yeah. something that you, that you don't see at all. So the fact that they're like slapping you in the face with it is so smart because there are a lot of moments of, of nudity in the film. And I, I think I kind of tackled this in the first part, but not as much because I enjoy the film so much that I'm just like, and then the rocking horse on a tongue. Um, <laughs> Is that there's no, like, male gaze in those moments. It's kind of fully a power move, and she's harnessing her sexuality, and it's for herself. And, like, yeah, she's an evil demon ghost, but, like, it's a girl power moment that I just, you you still don't even see it. Like, you just don't see it. A thousand percent. Like, with a character like Mary Lou, it is not your choice that what's happening is happening. It is a thousand percent. You are in Mary Lou's hands at that point. If Mary Lou didn't die in that, like, terrible way... She was repenting in the beginning of the film, so she comes from a was religious. Was she? I well, say, oh. she. So I say that with with quotations, but okay. her mom, like Mary Lou's mom, definitely brought her there to do her monthly confession or her weekly confession or however Catholic they were. I see what you're saying. So like, there were going to be repercussions for Mary Lou, and she would have had to have dealt with the the boyfriend that she stilted at the prom. Good point. What do you think about? I, I think we we can't end this episode without talking just specifically about the rage. I really like the end of the movie in terms of Carrie's explosions. There is some cool fucking shit in there. Like when, first off, blood, flammable, once again. I'm a big fan of it. Flammable? Flammable, flammable, what? Mm. <laughs> Language is a tool to convey ideas and I think they got the idea. <laughs> she's fucking throwing CDs like she's like a yeah. Hellraiser Cenobite. Oh, it was so good. It was pretty good. I, you know, I wanted Harpoon more. Harpoon guns, okay. baby! So the, <laughs> yes. Uh, I love the levitating fire poker. I wanted more levitation. When it kills Sue through the door, like, it impales a football player, and then on the other side of the door, it impales Snoo in the head. Yeah. Snoo. Oh, poor Snoo. <laughs> Sue Snell. <laughs> Let's try to say it ten times fast. It's very hard. I bet I couldn't. Snoo. Snoo. Oh. You got, you barely got one. I didn't even get one. <laughs> it wasn't even fast. <laughs> Susnell, Susnell, Sus- Here we are. I feel like we did this in the other Carrie episode. We probably too. did. <laughs> That's where the movie kicks off into like the dark stuff and it goes hard. Like you're like, oh, she's not going to save the day. No, she fucking shatters that girl's glasses in her face. That was really good. Yeah. Blinds her. I think those shards went immediately into her brain because she dies from it. Yeah. And then she shoots that asshole in the dick. <laughs> and it goes into the and pool. And it floats up into the pool. It was a good moment. I loved it. The pool stuff is like, oh, whatever. I didn't like that stuff. I had to close my eyes. It was oh, too... Oh, you had trouble with it. Yeah. I, I'm not... A... I, I didn't think I was big on drowning, but the pool cover, I just, just got me. Like, I was just not having it. I didn't like it. And maybe because it's just a, like a, a memory from when I first saw it, it bugging me because it was like at the cottage, it was summer, there was a lot of swimming. Like, <laughs> I think it, it was just like, no, shutting this down. Yeah, like of all the possibilities, I know that I'm not going to get shot in the dick. Like, we're swimming tomorrow and we are not having any part of this. That's like nine-year-old Kim. <laughs> we're going down to the beach and it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> 
but what about the dog? Like, that's you screaming the whole time. Walter made it out, though. I'm very happy they didn't kill Walter. When yeah. he got hit by the car, I was very upset. But then I was like, oh, it's a meat cute. Okay, fine. <laughs> and then he wore a cone and he had a little, like, cast the whole movie. It was kind of adorable. Good old Walter. The vantage point of all the telekinesis. That's true. This movie is through his eyes. <laughs> Walter is the protagonist. So, uh, was there anything else in particular you wanted to talk about before we close out? Like, I feel like we're really on the surface of this movie, unfortunately. I really liked the bullying story, and I was really, yes. I was really pleasantly surprised there. I, I knew there was going to be a bullying factor. I didn't remember the bullying. Like, I remembered the rage. I remembered the tattoo. I remembered the suicide. But the bullying was something that was, like, a real pleasant surprise in this and, and really held up today. Yeah, it, like, added, like, there were gears moving in behind the story that was happening. Like, with Carrie, the original, it's kind of like we're just watching a bunch of people convince... Figure out how to be bullies? Yeah, like, well, like, they're convincing a girl to go to prom, they're, they're getting ready for prom, this and that, and then every once in a while you have a cut to... Killing a pig. Cut two. Filling a bucket. Cut yeah. two. Carrie is more of a time capsule. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and this one is definitely more plotted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's, like, you're really watching the pieces on a chessboard come toward a checkmate at the end, right? Mm-hmm. But surprise, the queen took them all out. Uh, ratings, though. Yeah, I'm going to have a hard time rating this one. Me too. It's tough. Um, Because I don't love it, but... I really appreciate what it's doing, and, uh, you know, you've got a whole other movie you're trying not to compare it to. And it's hard, too, because Carrie's not a a story you can watch that often. Like, I find it very kind of draining. Yes. And this is our second Carrie movie of this prom slash aquatic horror month scenario. It just occurred to me we have now done all of the Carrie movies on the podcast. Yeah. I don't know how long it's going to be until I watch another one. Shoot. Yeah, see, like, I don't need to see... I mean, I do, like, really like the original Carrie. I do appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and visually, like, I'm going to be Instagramming photos from Carrie until the day I die. But <laughs> I heard a fucking story on, uh, actually, it was on the, the Attack of the Queer Wolf podcast. They were talking with Nancy Allen, who is the bully in the original Carrie. And they did a screening not too long ago, I assume, where at the moment that the prom massacre happens, all of the re- lights in the theater went red the entire fucking theater was bright red throughout that whole section and uh now forever i hope i'm just gonna i don't know one day host an event and do that because i need to see that movie in a theater and i need that to happen wow that's that's really intense but the rage carry two i think i'd like to give a 2.5 out of 4 i'm gonna do 2.5 out of 4 as well yeah i like you was going just off my memory and really expected no, like, oh, maybe this will be a two out of four. Yeah, and I thought I was going to have a lot of, like, bad, so good it's, or so bad it's good fun with it. Yeah. But it wasn't really like that at all. Like, I genuinely enjoyed watching it. Yeah. You know what's really interesting? This is probably something we should have brought up earlier in the podcast. Cat Shea, the director, was brought on well into production. I heard that, like, two weeks into filming already and yeah. they had to reshoot stuff. Yeah. Which is crazy. I'm pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed our viewing, and uh, I like this movie. I think if it's been a long time since you've seen it, I really encourage you to check it out. No going in that, like, if you absolutely, you know, you may absolutely love 
a different Carrie movie and you're going to have a hard time maybe comparing it to this one. Yeah, it's, and I'd like to find out too where you stand on the Carrie movies. Like like if you do like the remake, if you like the the Rage, the sequel, or if you're tried and true just to the original. Because I, I honestly, I don't hear a lot of uh, discussion regarding anything other than the original. So I don't really know where everybody stands on it. There is a really great article on the website at nofspodcast.com who, by, I, I think... I think it's Jessica. Jessica, yeah. yeah. And like that was like what planted the seed of like, man, we really got to revisit the rage because she had nothing but great things to say about it. And like, it really made me want to rewatch it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're finally here. Yeah, so you can tweet at us at NOFS Podcast. You can find us on Facebook in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS, and let us know what you thought about Hello, Mary Lou, Carrie 2, and all of the other Carrie movies. Nightmare on Film Street is listener supported by fiends like yourself. Head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on film street to find out about all of the cool bonus content, hours of episodes that you can listen to uh, by supporting the show. If you aren't already subscribed, hit that subscribe button wherever you're grabbing this episode. And we'll be back at you again in two Thursdays from now with another full-length episode. Until then, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.